basic state of perception and thought that most of us start in. We don't start from there, but we grow into it as we're young. Yeah? So to me, my golden years were between like two and four years old, basically. Because I wasn't in an abusive situation, and I was experiencing, you know, when I was playing... There was no thoughts that I won't, will I be playing next week? Because I didn't have a concept of time yet. I didn't know what there was a next week. And I loved my mother. It didn't matter if she was obese and super ugly. Because I didn't have a concept of beauty and ugliness yet. All this stuff that I grew into hadn't taken, that concrete hadn't set. And in that state of the concrete not setting, there was wonder and awe and a lot of a feeling of, peace that uh, I was going to come to lose, it seems, as I grew older. Yeah. But I had the memories of that, those times. It was funny because when when I was a kid, they'd take pictures of the family and my whole family would be sitting there and I was maybe, whatever, three or something, and I looked, looked like a little cherub, you know, everyone, and everyone was very bright and a big unit of family. And then as introspection, if you know what introspection is, you know, the the head starts thinking about itself, yeah? an idea. Before, when I was two, that wasn't going on. I didn't really know that I was Paul. I had no idea what Paul was. You know, they called me that, but there was no sense of being a Paul. But then that sense of being Paul started to formulate, and that introspection, that your attention, instead of being in your world and being like absorbed in what's happening, started to reflect back from what's happening on you. Yeah? In other words, the attention of being alive, that, con- that contact, which happens through five senses of the body, and then, you know, you feel, see, taste, touch, and smell. Yeah? That's our contact with life here. We are in conscious contact. We're aware of the, of the contact, of the interface. When you're a kid at that age, you're basically only and all in that. You're in the consciousness, and you're and you're experiencing the contact. As introspection sets in, some of that awareness or consciousness or attention starts going back into your head to the idea of who you think you are, or actually basically the idea of who others think you are, because you're being conditioned at that time. And so your attention gets sort of lost from the contact. That, and, and what happens when you're in that conscious contact and you are that consciousness, there's a wonder and awe. That's how you travel in life. There's a freedom. And people will say, well, because you didn't have a job and this and that, that and this. But I don't believe that's the primary reason. The primary reason is the introspection hasn't captured you yet. You know, that obsessing with your thoughts stream. So there you are in that conscious contact, but then suddenly the attention starts getting absorbed in the thoughts about you. Yeah. And so while you're living, now some of you isn't really present. It's in here, listening to what the head's saying about living. So when I went into first grade, it was totally different than when I was a little kid. When I went to, into that first grade room, I didn't experience walking into the room. All I experienced was the thoughts that were running in my head about what they think of me, everyone hates me, I don't want to be here, and all like that. And more and more, as I kept on living, I I experienced less and less what was happening, and I experienced more and more of the thoughts about what was happening. And all those thoughts about what was happening was really starting to get centered in what everything was happening to, which was Paul. 
Now, I didn't know there was any other way to think, because I can't compare my thinking to yours. I don't go, can't go into your head. There can't be an x-ray of your thoughts. So I was just on the assumption this is what thinking is like. But what I found in time, through education and stuff, was that what I was thinking, how I was thinking is called self-centeredness. That's what happens. Yeah? So all of my thinking and all of the interpretations and perceptions of life were really centered in this idea of being Paul. This body, the thoughts, the brain, the family of lineage. And in that identification as this as being me, what I was living as me between two and four was forgotten, which I believe was the spirit that I am. Yeah? So the spirit was slowly forgotten, and I took up this to be me, and all the thoughts to be about the me, and that's when my life... Well, the wonder and awe started to be missing quite a lot. <laughs> that It's not like being childish, it's childlike. That sense of the ability to get super sad and then the next second laugh was gone. There was all, something happened and it, did, it never seemed to go back to that state. And as I kept growing older, there was more and more, whatever I did was basically preempted by the thinking about it. I was constantly thinking about it. I remember this one time, you know, I was like 11 years old and I, went, I was going to school and a, a girl said hello to me. And I went home and wondered what she meant by it for about five hours. Yeah? I just thought it to death. Because what is, does she like me? Doesn't she like me? Blah, blah, blah. What am I supposed to do if she likes me? It was just unbelievable painful. Yeah? And this is what the life was like. I couldn't even respond to a natural feeling anymore. It would always be interrupted by thoughts about it. I couldn't even just move to something I liked without having tons of thoughts about why I shouldn't or what's going to happen and this and that. So the living of life seemed to end, not dramatically, so I didn't notice it, but there was like a transfer from living life to interpreting life. Yeah. So it seemed like I gave up the living of it and then I started accepting interpretation by my head of life as the living. And for me, personally, it wasn't that satisfying. I started to want more. I started to need to get some relief, because that picture of me when I was a little kid, like a cherub, as I got older, and we had pictures of my family, you would see me in the picture, and it was I was like looking at my mother suspiciously. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was a sense of separation. And the more and more I grew into this state of self-centeredness, the more and more separated I felt in life. Even in my own home, I felt like I was in a boarding house. I had, who is this, who is this that's supposed to be my brother? And this, I had no freaking idea what was going on, but thousands of thoughts about it. So it started to get pretty damn unbearable. And I know none of us, some of us aren't in recovery, but I believe, in my view, the original disease is self-centeredness. And I believe everyone is in recovery from something. You may not be from alcohol and drugs, or maybe it's from shopping, or maybe it's from overthinking or sex, but you're in recovery from something. And I believe the, all of those diseases, and there's thousands of them, of them seemingly, are rooted back to this preoccupation with the idea of being a self. Yeah. I believe that's the original cause of all the discomfort that we're suffering from. 
is that we're preoccupied, our attention is captured by this idea of being Paul. And it's sort of like being a planet with all your thoughts revolving around it all day. It gets to be really damn uncomfortable. So what happened with me, because of my conditioning, I have basically probably traits to be an addict and a whatever, an alcoholic. That's how I sought relief from this unbearability. I didn't have that unbearability between two and four years old, but I quickly seemed to grow into it. And by 12 and 13, it was pretty damn nasty. And so when I was introduced to a way of getting relief from it, I took it. I tried some, and I found that when I checked out by drinking and doing whatever, I got some relief from it. But unfortunately, the relief was temporary, and it actually reinforced the dilemma more and more. And and what happened with my life as an experience of living was when I started to drink and do drugs, I found out immediately I had magnetic appeal to people in uniform. I started to have a a lot of consequences in my life from what just, and how I saw it was I was just looking for my medicine, really, in a sense, because I was suffering from something, and everything everyone told me hadn't worked, but I got some relief from getting loaded. So this really set, created a destiny for me. Because I was a con- I got created a lot of consequences in my life, and I had to suffer them. Yeah, going to detoxes and going to jail and stuff like that, getting run over by a car. I got over. I got run over by a car twice in one night. Only a <laughs> only one <laughs> only an, an addict or an alcoholic can pull that one off. <laughs> by the same car twice. <laughs> Ran me over. Didn't know what he hit. He backed up over me. <laughs> so my life. And yet, that wasn't sufficient to stop me. Because that unbearability, that idea of being Paul didn't get run over. That was still cooking. It was still driving me crazy. So, I continued to live like that the best I could, and things happened where I was introduced to a solution. Now, I believe addicts or addictive mind and and alcoholic minds are just like an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. I think everyone is suffering from self-centeredness. One of the examples of self-centeredness now would be that most of the time your mind is occupied with what's not happening, really. That's what's going on. Most of the thoughts that you're attending to all day aren't about what's right now happening. You don't need a thought to know what's happening now. You're awake. You're conscious. But to, to live in what's not happening, the only way you can go there is through thought. Yeah? So let's say you and I are sitting here, which we are, and there's no impending threat right now in the room. There's no need to have the emotion of fear. Most people are calling anxiety fear. It's not, it's not fear. Anxiety is made out of thin air. Fear is a valid emotion that arises in your body when you're threatened. Anxiety is a mental activity that produces the physiological effects of fear, but with no evidence of a fearful situation. It makes the evidence up in what's not happening. So the thoughts, if you're attending to the thoughts and are obsessed about them, they're all about yesterday and tomorrow. So what's happening is now, and the, the now is used to entertain what's not happening. And that creates a very, very, uh, a lack in life, because what's happening 
So anything can happen in here. Yeah? One thing can happen in what's not happening, I mean. In what's not happening, anything can happen. In what's not happening, I can have cancer. Yeah? In what's not happening, my girlfriend can be sleeping with my best friend. In what's not happening, I can be destitute. Right now, I'm fine, but in what's not happening, I can be in a terrible situation. The problem is, is if you're entertaining what's not happening, it's going to be mirrored in your body now. If you have cancer next Friday, your body's going to be flipping out now. You're going to be in what you call fear, but it was produced by anxiety. You're going to be short of breath, you're going to be like this, you're going to be thinking quite a lot about what it's going to mean to me to have cancer. And yet, right now, you don't have cancer. Right now, everything is fine, but you don't, you're out of the habit of acknowledging what's happening, and you're living in the realm of what's not happening. So, there is another state called what's happening. And what's happening, it has, it's very limited because only what's happening can appear in what's happening. <laughs> not a million things, only what's happening can appear in what's happening. But, the quality what's not happening has is that it does it's not happening. Yeah? And what's happening has that quality. And that's where life is, is in that quality of that it's actually happening. What's not happening doesn't have this feeling of life. It doesn't have the juice. It doesn't have the sense of, of, of aliveness that you so sorely would like. You're hoping something in the future will bring it because right now you're not connected to it. But if you, could, if you could see what's entertaining, what's not happening, and hopefully entertain that it isn't you, you would feel maybe what you're hoping that great mythical thing in the future would, you would hope would bring you. You may actually feel the alarm vital, you know, the sense of being alive now. That's been my experience. Is that what I've always been looking for in what's not happening was always right where I was looking from now. So, let's say you go, yeah, that seems to be what's going on. My whole day, my whole Saturday is eclipsed by next Friday. Because I think next Friday something terrible is going to happen, or I'm, I have to go to a party or something like that. And I see that if I look at my life, basically every day that I'm in is eclipsed by something that's not happening. And maybe you'll say, well, I'd like to see what it's like to be here right now, maybe. I'll give it a shot. So what happens is you've got to look at thoughts got to see, how can I have an immunity to thought? Because thoughts are, are telling me that what's not happening, basically, is more important than what's happening, obviously. And you can see what you're worshipping every day. You can. It's very easy. If you look at the head that you feel is you, what does it honor more? The moment, this moment, or the past or future? And tell the truth. It honors the past and the future more. Because that's all it thinks about. <laughs> all it freaking thinks about. It uses this moment to do that. This is about maybe, maybe entertaining. Why not get rooted in what's happening? So in the what's not happening, what our little magic carpet to go there is thought, obviously. Because you can't go there. It's not happening. You can't. You cannot go to next Friday. No matter how much you want to be there now, you cannot go to next Friday. You can only seem to go there by thinking. But you cannot replace this Saturday with next Friday. It's impossible. It is impossible. So what we, what I come and speak about is, I don't want to change any thoughts that my head's having. 
I just want to realize I'm not the thinker of those thoughts. Yeah? And I'm also not the object of those thoughts. And this when it gets down to the, the message of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, to me, is a system of thought and interpretation that we have all been indoctrinated into. Through our conditioning, through our family, through this, through just not knowing any better. And it's gotten a little crazy. Yeah? I mean, thinking is a credible tool. There's like the working mind, which is incredible. You know how to put this wire to that wire and not blow yourself up. Yeah? But then there's what someone would call the psychological thinking, which is the ad nauseum thinking about, what does this mean to me when I walk into the room? Are my pants too short? Did someone notice my hair? Blah, blah, what am I wearing? And all like this. This obsession with self, yes, your image, instead of saving your ass all day, I believe is what's killing you. Or limiting you from a real sense of joy in your life, not brought about by what you have or you do, but by your own sense of being. Yeah? Your own sense of being can, is, ha, has enough value in itself. You don't have to be busily trying to accrue value all day to prove that you're okay. You will sense that you're okay. It doesn't mean your life will have to change, but you'll travel lighter through it. You'll travel lighter through it. They say you have 70,000 thoughts a day. It's pretty amazing. Australian research. It may have gone up by then. <laughs> that was about 10 years ago. Well, let's say you only have 1,000 thoughts. Maybe say only 1,000 thoughts happen. Now, most people have a prior thought to all the thinking, which is, I'm the thinker of it. You believe you're thinking the thought. Most of us do. We believe this is thinking the thought that I'm having. Or that this is the object of the thought, which that's the truth. Most thoughts are about you as a body. They can't capture spirit. Thought cannot capture spirit. But the thought can capture a body very easily. So, most people believe they're the thinker of it. And this is where the dilemma is. Because, let's say if you were at a park and, you had, and there was 30 kids playing in that park, and one of them was yours, where would your attention go to? To the kid, your kid. There's 30 kids, but your attention would go to your kid. Why? Not because it's a, a different kid than all the rest, but it's yours. Yes? This is what I've discovered, and many people have, but I've actually tested it and it worked really well. Let's say I'm here and, and there's a house over here adjoining this, but the walls are right together. And there's a girl that I'd like to meet, yeah, my neighbor. And I, I want to see, I don't want to ask her if she to go out with me, because I want to make sure she would say yes. So I'm very keen on hearing what she says, and I'm hoping she's talking about me. Yeah? And here I am in this situation, but I'm not really here, because I want to hear what she says about me. So I'm really drawn to listen to this, and people say, hey, Paul, come on, come back to this, meet, this meeting. I go, yeah, 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 but I have a difficult time doing what I think is even right, because I want to hear this, yeah? And I'll be listening and straining to hear it. But if I hear that she's talking about Matt, I lose interest immediately. My name's Paul, by the way. Yeah? As soon as I hear it's about Matt, I'm totally free. No one has to say, hey, Paul, come in the room. I've already left. I don't have to take two months of workshops about not listening through walls to other conversations. I lost interest in it. Why? Because I heard it wasn't about me. That's exactly what can happen when thoughts. If a thought can be seen as not yours, you'll lose interest in it. 
If you lose interest in the thoughts, they cannot make up what's not happening to be real to you. In one group that I'm involved with, they have an acronym for fear, which is false evidence appearing real. So, let's say you're thinking about what's not happening. That's actually false evidence, which is like, I have cancer, yes? I have cancer in what's not happening. So that thoughts are appearing, and that's, it's evidence, yeah? There's evidence, it tells you a story, oh, my liver's been hurting or something, right? It has some vague little connection. So that uh, false evidence becomes only real to you, yeah? It's not real, so it has to, it's false, but if you believe it, it will appear real to you, which is the anxiety, yes? So you bring what's not happening into what's happening, and you by believing it, will allow what's not happening to override what's happening. Yeah. So basically, you're out to lunch every day. And you can, you can diagnose yourself. If you, I used to go to work, and then I, I, it was, in hindsight, it would be hilarious. I'd go to work, and then around 8 o'clock I'd be home drinking a beer, maybe, maybe watching some TV, and in my head, through thought, would tell me I had a bad day. Break the news to me. But I was in the day the whole time. How would, it, how would I not know it was bad while it was banning? Why would I? Why was I on like a ten-hour delay? And then, it, then the, the brain, the thoughts, break the news to me. You had a bad day. Oh, thank you, thank you. Are you that out to lunch? People sometimes it's years they don't get it for years. Sometimes it's at the end of their life. The news gets broken to them that they've been out to lunch that they've been constantly living in what's not happening. And it's a rude awakening, the time of death or something. Because the, the, the truth finally wins out. You can only make up a fantasy for so long. What's happening will override it. Yeah. So, this thing of my feeling is, I need immunity to those thoughts because I'm bonded to them. How I feel I'm bonded to them it's because I'm identified with the oldest thought. And the oldest thought is that I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Some people would call it an ego. I don't call it that. I call it a sense of self. I believe I'm this. I believe I'm a body and a brain. Yeah? Now, one of, the, one of the biggest experiences I had in my life was when my Uncle Fred passed away. I was nine years old. And I really liked Uncle Fred. He used to give me money behind his back at relative parties and everything. I really liked him. He fought me off, basically. You know, I liked him. Yeah. So one day, he passed away. And my, sister, my mother took me to the funeral. I was nine years old. And we walked by the casket, and there was Uncle Fred. And I looked in, and I had the direct hit that that wasn't Uncle Fred. Yeah. There was the body, but something was missing. And what I now call what was missing was what actually Uncle Fred was, that animating spirit, not the body. Because without that spirit in it, I had a total hit, that ain't Uncle Fred. And the reason why I thought it was Uncle Fred is I had been indoctrinating, indoctrinated, whatever that word is, into believing I was this body. Yes? I thought I was this body, so I assume you're the body. But when I saw the body without that spirit in it, I realized that ain't Uncle Fred. Yeah. That's what we're trying to entertain here. Maybe if you put the spirit or the ability of, of that awareness or your, your state of consciousness, maybe 
believe, put that ahead of the idea of being a body, you may get a relief from a lot of the problems that believing you're a body brings. Yeah? Instead of trying to deal with the problem of the body as a body, maybe deal with the problems of a body as a spirit, you may find relief you can't find the other way. That's what's happened to me. Yeah? And the proof is in the pudding. It's how I've been traveling in life for like the last 13 years. A lot lighter than I ever did before. And it doesn't change the destiny of my life. If I'm going to get fired or get cancer or not have kids or do this or do that, they'll all probably happen. But while I'm living my life, I'm traveling lighter every day. <laughs> so what more would you want? This is not about changing your life unless it needs to be changed. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just to do with who's it happening to. Yeah. You believe it's happening to you as a body. I'm saying it may not be that. It may be happening, but it may not be happening to you. It may be happening through this, but it may not be happening to it. Yeah? And uh, a self-centered, basic interpretive theme of self-centeredness, one of them is, life's happening to me. Yeah? My experience is life is happening. Self-centeredness goes, life is happening to me. And then, and then the stories are written about why or why it shouldn't and why does it have to be this way and blah, 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 blah all this to me, selfing. But when you see life is happening, it's beautiful, actually. You know? It's a beautiful event. It's more than enough. Yeah? There's really nothing lacking in it. So... What I've been here for, and I do in other places, is just entertain, that invites you, and, it does, and there's no prescription. If you don't care about it, it doesn't matter. If you're happy with what's going on, and you feel really it's a sound foundation your life is based on, then do it. This is for people that may be questioning something. And I found that I followed this questioning, and this is where it led me. And it led me to the root, which was, am I this mental projection through thought that's constantly being reinforced every day, or maybe, maybe I'm something other than that. And when I entertained I was something other than that, there happened a shift, and the emphasis of my life on thought got moved to the background, and the emphasis on the part of life called living got moved to the foreground. Yeah? And I like it a lot better. I think the Thinking is a great tool, but I don't like it to be the guide. I want it to help have it tell me what wire I should plug into the other, but I don't want it to tell me what you're like, what I'm like, what the world's like, what they're going to be like. I don't need it for that. I can sense you. I don't need to think about you. Yeah? I can feel the energy in the room, and I know I'm safe. I don't need to think about, am I safe or not? But I gave that up a long time ago, and I took the second thing that was offered, which was thinking about everything. So, you know, when was the last time you actually experienced walking into a room? Most people experience walking into a room through the thinking about it. The walking into a room is forgotten, really. They just, but they're constantly obsessed with the thoughts while they're walking into the room. Constantly obsessed with the thoughts while they're driving. Constantly obsessed with the thoughts when they're having sex. Constantly obsessed in the thoughts, thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. If you're getting great joy out of it, far out. But to me, it was pretty empty. Because it's the same old, same old thoughts over and over and over again. Full of anxiety and worry and concern. As if this giant hanging doom is going to squish me out of existence at any moment. That's not 
living, that's cowering to me. That's a form of slavery to me. Not willing to ask for what you want. As you may be, you may, no may be said to you. That happened to me when I was young. One party, go to one party, the girl doesn't like me, I decide, well, I'll never go to another party again. That's a good solution. Jesus Christ. What an insane Greek oracle I've been listening to. Yeah, just nothing will bother you if you just keep getting, making your life smaller and smaller and smaller. Play it very tiny. Don't ask for much. You don't deserve it anyway. This and that. Screw that, man. So, you know? It's crazy, isn't it? So then you live wanting something, but if it showed up, you'd shit in your pants, really. Because you're just, it's safe to want something. It's a different story when it's safe to want to be free, but to be free is totally different. Wanting to be free is always putting freedom away. It's safe. Yeah, I don't have to deal with it now, but I really want to. One day I want to be free, but not today. I'm too busy. <laughs> then you may run out of days. Yeah, you just keep pushing it off. You may run out of days. <laughs> I'll get to that soon. But I got eight other hundred other things to do. Well, I don't know. Maybe that would be a good idea to put that as a priority. Yeah, no, I'll get to it. Freedom? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> Very direct. Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. You'll feel better. Hallelujah. You really will. And if you're feeling great now, fire out. Tell me how you're doing it. Maybe I'll start practicing that occasionally. I'm always willing to include anything that works. This is what's worked for me fundamentally. Yeah. I was too obsessed and attached to the thinking process. I was thinking my way through life instead of living through life. I'd like to have a little life amidst all the thinking. And I found the way I attained it, if I, I didn't attain it, the way I saw it was I lost interest in the thoughts when I realized they really aren't about me. They're about being a body and a brain and a historical action figure, you know, like Paul, the one who was there and who's going to be there. But they're not really, they can't capture my spirit. And I'm, I sense that I am that, yes, the spirit. And knowing that, I have an immunity to all the thoughts about what I'm not. And they play. It's like a K-Paul. You know, it's like a station, radio station. I keep picking up the, but the, old, the, the golden oldies. Yes, constantly. <laughs> Tons of commercials <laughs> about Paul. You know, but there, it's in the background. The foreground is conscious or conscious. Yeah. And I'm back in that state of being childlike again. I have a lot of wonder and awe and go-lucky character in a sense. So. Why not, eh? So there's a, you know, it's just an opportunity. If you like it, maybe someday you will like it. Who knows? You can always check it out. It's an invitation. For me, I couldn't find it on my own. I needed someone from outside to, to deliver the message. I was too busy, obsessed with self. Yes? And I don't want to go into all the details of selfing. I think this was a nice presentation. Simple, little and uh, it's not about right or wrong it's about results yeah. if something doesn't allow you to travel lighter then maybe discard it yeah. give it a nice roll around but if it doesn't work for you move on but this has afforded me to travel lighter and that's the greatest proof in its validity as a solution yeah. 
It produces the goods. And, um, and it keeps on doing it. So. Yeah? Your attention, free from attending, be a slave to all the thoughts you have about what's not happening all day. <laughs> and so your attention can actually go to your kids and go to you as you really are and go to life and get drawn by other like magnetic poles because your attention will be drawn to different places. You'll see things you never saw before. Instead of going into that black hole of selfing all day, yeah, just getting sucked into ad nauseum. And after a while, all that attention of thoughts is going to create a great neurosis in you. You're going to get mentally ill, in a way. You're going to get very flipped out. Yeah? I mean, my mother was a very powerful woman when I was growing up. That's how I saw her. She, every day after work, she'd take me and my sister to the beach. She was vivacious, alive. And then she uh, became an alcoholic in her 40s, late 40s, after my father died. And at the time, at the, in her later years, we, you know, we lost everything. And then we were living in like a two-family uh, house. We lived on the first floor. And every night she'd come home from work, and then she would drink. She would drink beer, and then she'd fall asleep on the couch. And she'd have the TV on very low. Yeah? And I'd come home, let's say, at 11. I was like 13 at this time, 14. Right? I'd come home at 11 years, you know, 11 o'clock. And I'd go to try to put the TV up. I couldn't hear it. You know, they had 11, you know, 13-year-old ears. They were pretty good ears. I couldn't hear it, only from like 10 feet away. And as soon as I started to turn the TV up, my mother would wake up and say, What about the neighbors? I couldn't even hear it. But her whole life, all her thoughts were concerned about what others were thinking. Insane. So there was this incredible, vivacious woman, this and that, and then as she became enslaved to this, it just paralyzed her in so many ways. And there she was, where she, uh, the only concern that she rose up for was what others were thinking. So, I wouldn't think that you're special and that if you keep worshipping that closed temple, you won't become a devotee. I wouldn't take that. Because if you keep letting this thing run your life, it will. It's very, it's very voracious. It's like a parasite. And it's using you. You're the host that's using you. This is my opinion. You can argue with me. I'll, let's, let's, let's keep it just to me. It used me. It took me over and it used me for transportation. And I couldn't entertain being free of it because it's got the greatest strategy I've ever run across with a parasite. Because when it takes over the host, it's hostile takeover. It doesn't treat the host well. Yeah. But what, has, what it does is it jacks into the thinking and it, and it uh, hijacks it in a way. And the idea that you have of being a self is presented and projected by it the parasite. So you become identified as it, and you can never entertain, you can be free of it. All you can do is entertain, you can keep yourself busy from sensing it, maybe get therapized, maybe get some self-esteem, maybe if I socialize it enough, it won't flip out at the next barbecue I go to. These are not great ideas of success to me. You just hunker down in the slavery of it, and it uses you. Its atmosphere is anxiety. Your atmosphere is really breathing in the presence of being alive. But we have been t- 
turned off from that, and now we're just sucking on the fumes of anxiety produced by the, it's like the exhaust of the parasite. It's just yapping and yapping and yapping and yapping, and it's killing us in a way. We're incredibly sturdy hosts, but it's running us down pretty bad. So this is about maybe, just maybe, if I entertain that I may not be that which it's constantly projecting to be me, I may have an immunity to all of a, all of its other effects brought about by thoughts. Yeah. So for me, the happen is I've been released from the slavery to the parasite, and now for twenty something years I've been watching what a host does in life, and it's a whole lot different than what the host did when it was taken over by the parasite. It's just been a totally different experience. So. And so I recognize the parasite now because it's been removed, so I can see it, and so I try to share it with others so that if they're not occupied or they may have the proclivity to be, maybe they can have the, like a, a pre-warning. If they are occupied, the beginning of it getting broken is by telling the truth about it. You first have to see what's happening. And then if you get entertained, you're not that, it loosens its tentacles, so to speak, its hold on you. And you'll have lots of free samples of what it's like to live unadorned by the parasite, and you may choose to want to live that way. If you do, there's ample support and inspiration, not just for me, tons of other people, not tons, but a number of people you'll find, and then you can entertain being free, not later down. What? Yes. No, I, I will be okay later. No, no. Because if you're saying, I will be okay later, you're verifying the reality of not being okay now. What a terrible thing. Jeez. No, no. Why wouldn't you want to put off your freedom to later? <laughs> All that is is affirming your slavery. In a way. I would just like question what's happening now. So, to me, the conscious contact is the constant proof of your release. This is what's happening. Like it or not. Yeah? What's not happening has no quality of reality to it unless you believe it. And it has a reality to you, but not to everyone else. That's what's difficult, trying to convince someone else about your mythical next Friday. When you're totally consumed with worrying and you try to tell them why, they don't get it at times because they don't have the same mythical next Friday. They're in a mythical next Tuesday. Yeah? So it's very difficult to communicate because to them, your mountains are molehills. And, and to you, you, their mountains are molehills. Yeah? <laughs> because they're not happening. Any questions? Yeah? Yeah? Well, tell the story about the, the, the cup and the wine, about the sheep. The cup and the lion sheep, okay. Please. You mind, you want a story? Alright, this is an old story from India. <coughs> with a little bit of tinkering. So, there was a a young lion and a, and a mother lion and a young lion obviously was constantly with the older lion and the mother lion gets killed so the young lion is orphaned and it really doesn't know what it is or anything it's sort of lost and uh, it sees a herd of it sees a herd of sheep coming into the area so it runs after the herd of sheep and the sheep see it as a lion and they're afraid but after a while they realize this thing doesn't even know it's a lion yeah this young little thing. So they adopted the lion, and so now the lion is in a herd of sheep, and it's trying its best to be a sheep. You know, it's barring, and you know, they're talking about who's going to be the next sweater, and he's trying to seem interested, and trying to live like a sheep. And he's, and he does this for a few years, and he feels a little 
irritable, restless, discontent because <laughs> he's not a sheep, really, but he can't put his finger or his paw on it. You know, why it's bothering him. So one day, a big old lion comes rush, running into the area to get a sheep. It's hungry. So it starts running after the herd, and the young lion sees it and starts running with the sheep. So the old lion thinks the young lion has joined the hunt, but it realizes the young lion's running away from it. So it, it stops running after the sheep and goes after the young lion, and it grabs the young lion. The young lion rolls on its back and says, Please, Mr. Lion, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. I'm just a, a simple sheep. And the young old lion's like very perplexed. What? So he grabs the young lion and drags it over to this pond of water. And he, and he puts both of their heads over the water and they see the reflection. So the young lion sees its reflection and it matches with the old lion. And it realizes immediately it's a lion. It doesn't have to, like, think about it. It just gets it. Yeah, I'm a lion. Even year after day after day of being a sheep, thinking it was a sheep, one second of, real, of seeing the reflection, it realized it was a lion. One second. And so then the old lion goes roar. And it doesn't have to go to roaring classes yet. It roars because it's a lion. This is what happens to us, yes? You and I, let's say, believe we're a sheep. Yeah? but we're actually a lion. So obviously, it's not that satisfying for a lion to be a sheep. And all the while it's acting like it's a sheep, there's going to be discontent and dissatisfaction because the lion in it is trying to get its freaking attention. The mind is in sheephood, but the lion is a lion. Yeah? So what happens with us is, in a way, let's say I come here and I go, you're a lion. That's the message, basically. You're a lion. Now, your ear hears it, but your ears may be sheep ears right now. Yeah? The lion may be, for all intents and purposes, forgotten. So I go, you're a lion. And so that statement, you're a lion, hits your ear, but it's, hurt, it's caught with the sheep ear myth. And that statement becomes, I can become like a lion. Yeah? So the message is, you're a lion. And then you're going, yes, yes, yes. But the head goes, I heard what he said. I can become like a lion. No. The message is, you're a lion. So what happens is, because we're identified with the sheepness, it's constantly overriding the nature that we are of being a lion. And it's defenses, when it hears the message of being a lion, it translates it into, I, as a sheep, can maybe become like a lion. I don't have to, because I'm actually a sheep. But maybe I, it would be noble for me to want to become the first sheep that becomes like a lion. Yeah? And maybe there's a couple other sheep you talk about, and you get together, and now you're all going to start practicing being like a lion. So now you, you take roaring classes, roar, roar. They still sound like Bob, but roar, roar. Maybe you get pictures of lions, and you put little candles in front of those pictures, and you worship, oh, this was one of the greatest old lions ever, and yes, yes. I want so much to become like you. Yes, it sounds very, very noble. But the fact is, you're a lion. The idea of being becoming like a lion is just reinforcing the misidentification that you're a sheep. Yeah. That's what happens mostly here. People still hear the message that they're a spirit, and all they can translate as, I can become spiritual, as this. Yes? This is... This is what I am, and maybe I can graft some spirituality onto this, 
that will give me a new advantage at being this. That's not the message. The message is you are spirit. Yes? That's interfacing with life through this. It's like this is a telescope that the scientist uses to see the stars. It, the scientist can't see the stars, but with the lenses in the telescope, if the scientist's awareness goes through those lenses, it can see the stars. So spirit sees the, the world of things through this telescope of a body. So spirit looks through the body and it allows it to see things and other people and a whole world appears to it that it can have relationships with. Yeah? Spirit. Da, 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 da. What unfortunately has happened, that quality of spirit that's actually coming through us, the body and the brain claims, I'm the thing that's in relation with you. I'm the thing. I'm having these experiences. I as this. And that's what causes the dilemma, because it's mistaken. It's not that. This is the telescope. Without the seer, the telescope can't see. The lens affords seeing, but it can't see. Just like the eye, you could take, if I was dead, this eye, you could take out and put in a body that was alive, and it would see. Because the principle that's actually the seer would go through this lens and see. This is not seeing. Yeah? You and I think we're the, the main enchilada, but you can't even take a shit when you want. Really, as a body. You're not pumping your blood, are you? Are you digesting that burrito you had yesterday? Oh, I forgot. i got to get down to that tonight. No. Something's digesting it. Something's running basically the whole show of the body, yet your head has this little megaphone say, megaphone saying, I'm this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, this is mine, this is my body, this is my time, this is my problem. So let's say you have problems, that maybe spread them out, you have 20 problems. Look on the other side of the equation, who has the 20 problems? Only one thing, you. 20 problems, you. Maybe... Instead of dealing with all the problems, maybe see this as the main problem. <laughs> maybe if you change this, the problems won't look like they're problems as much maybe anymore. We have an example in recovery that is so profound, but it's missed all the time. In recovery, people come in and share their experiences of life taken over by the parasite, basically. We call that one strain of the parasite alcoholism. And so some of them, a lot of them will say, they will tell you the worst thing that ever happened to them. They have a story about it, their mind, and maybe it's been the worst thing ever happened to them for years. Then they come into recovery, and something shifts in them, and then that worst thing that ever happened to them now becomes the best thing that ever happened to them. That's how profoundly different your seeing can be. What, at, from the point of view of the parasite, the worst thing that ever happened to you, from the point of view of spirit, the best thing that ever happened to you. It's that extreme, the difference at times. Exact that extreme. You are really, what's, what's been, you're looking, this may have been hijacked by something. Now, what was looking and you were experiencing as what was looking when you were a kid may have been hijacked along the way. And that same isn't looking anymore. It's been, it's, it, the looking has been interpreted by a head. Yes? And there's a lack of life, so therefore you try to fill that lack with things and activities and busyness and whatever, whatever, whatever. Do they ever really freaking work? They never bring like a long sense of satisfaction, do they? They always run out. Their expiration dates are usually past due when you get them. This is about something else, you know? It's just a humble little invitation. It takes about ten minutes. 
<laughs> if you love me, so you know, before how I'm feeling at times now, I used to spend five hundred dollars to feel that way <laughs> out there. <laughs> so I'm free from all that slavery. Things don't have to go my way. <laughs> I didn't even know we were supposed to do this today. I thought I was coming over here to meet his family. Got an extended family. They're very attentive, but I don't know. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is everybody in the world suffering from self-centeredism? Unless they're not. There's people that are awake, yeah. Or most? Well, the ones I've run into, most of them, yeah. Okay. I don't I don't have, I don't have a large enough, to do a verifiable survey, I don't have enough specimens, but most most of the people I've run into aren't that happy, joyous, and free. You know? Yeah. They seem to be preoccupied with things. Thoughts. Thoughts are things. Yeah. Another question is, is, what about the good thoughts? Are they bullshit term? Well, what's, the thoughts aren't bullshit. It's the idea of the thinker. You being the thinker is bullshit. The thoughts are It's great. I'd much rather have good thoughts playing on the station than bad thoughts. But I'm not the owner of the station. Yeah? I, just, I just noticed with myself that um, most of them are bad. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they tend to like... If you have a certain predilection... Like for me, my extreme, my obsession with self was always on the negative side. I always felt something was really wrong with me. That's been the main theme of all my thinking. A, a suspicion or a paranoia about if they ever found out what I know about me, they'd kick me out of this party right now. Yeah? Or this relationship, or this job, whatever. Just use whatever thing you want to say. And that was a preoccupation, this paranoid view coming from an idea of something. So my obsession always was more on the negative side. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, can, can, can you explain surrender? Um, you know? Well, yeah, I can try to explain. I'll get to you after that. Yeah. yeah. Well, surrender... Well, I don't think you can know surrender unless it's happened to you. For me, it happened to me once. It wasn't like... I had been, Like I said before, I was an addict in life, you know? As my solution to this dilemma, I did drugs and alcohol to get relief. So uh, at this end of at the end of my using, I was um, I ended up in a trailer park out in California. I had been up for like four days doing stuff, and uh, I had no money. I was sitting with a guy who I didn't know, you know, watching TV in this trailer. <laughs> And we're drinking a bottle of Royal Gate vodka. I don't know if you have Royal Gate here. I don't want to go. Most of you are in addicts, and so it doesn't matter. But I was drinking this. And uh, I looked at him, and I looked at him, and he had bulbous nose and varicose veins on his face. And I said, this guy's a bum, you know? But lo and behold, he was looking at me like I was a bum. And for some reason, something broke at that moment. We call it in recovery the moment of clarity. Something broke. And my denial of my situation was lifted, and it hit me like a CNN news flash. And, the new, and it wasn't a story, just a headline, but the headline was, I'm screwed. Yeah? Now, people who knew me knew I'd been screwed for quite a while, but it was like news to me. I was like, what? I mean, I thought I was living the high life, sitting here in this trailer, drinking 80 cents, 
vodka, you know? I'm screwed. Oh, it's like news, yeah? And that was when I experienced surrender. And I had been hit by cars and shot at and everything. I never had surrendered. I had surrendered to the police, but I had never surrendered, you know? Like, but that was the surrender. So I now know what surrender is for me. I had that experience. But that was a gift. I never, it didn't bring it about. But surrender was for me as I admitted, basically, that I was just not managerial quality. That I can't manage my own life. Especially through thought thinking. It was just a wreck. And what happened was, from that, I made this, it just like everything just came to a halt, only for about five minutes, but this whole, this engine of seeking, self-seeking to stop, and then this message came in, and in that, from that little portal that opened, from wherever that was, it set off a train of events that the next day I was at the first recovery meeting I ever went to. And I've been clean and sober ever since, over 21 years now. So, five minutes of this little influence changed my whole life. Why not surrender to that? <laughs> that energy. Because it's done a much better job of managing my life than I ever did. Yeah? I don't mean managing doing my books and everything. I mean managing guiding me, directing me. Not through thought, but through something other than thought. Sometimes it uses intuitive thought and, and sudden hits, but through something else, a sense of something. So that to me is what we call it in recovery is you finally admit your powerlessness. Yeah? You give it up. You give up the ghost, so to speak. And in that admittance of powerlessness, it connects you to another source of power. Yeah. We break it down in recovery that reliance on self is unreliable. Relying that you are a the single unit, the reality of your life, is an unreliable system to base a life on. We're just ex extreme examples of it. People have been washed up in that activity. Yeah? But I believe the principle falls on everybody that's in self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is an unreliable system. A life doesn't work well when it's centered on self. A life centered on itself is really incredible, not on self. So, we admit that to our innermost self, yeah, I've got that the gig is up, right? Basically, I've had it. Yeah? And what happens is a new power flows in. Something you've never really felt before that often. Yeah. Because you've been living in a vacuum of advertising and hope and you know, you'll you will be okay later. Never you know, no power right now. So now this new power has flown in. Flown in, yeah. Flown going in. And then what happens is that new power starts allowing you to show up in life and to start living life successfully, facing it successfully. And then while that's going on, you start feeling the conscious presence of spirit instead of the unconscious presence of thoughts all day. And what was like this unruly, unhappy, unsatisfied beast gets tamed. I've never even thought about alcohol and drugs for years now. I'm not seeking any outside relief because I'm satisfied. Simple as that. I'm satisfied, so I'm not seeking to get satisfied. I'm already satisfied. I like expressing satisfaction, but I'm not shopping for it anymore, which is so freaking awesome in a sense. Yeah? So the thing is, with a surrender, is a lot of times people forget. And they assume the power that's flowing in is them. The self thing goes, oh, this is, I'm very powerful. I've got it together. I'm really good at whatever, blah, 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 blah. And in that, you 
get cut off from that source of power because you've claimed it as yours, as the selfing yeah? And usually things go awry. Yeah? It may not go awry externally, but you'll not feel happy anymore. You'll feel dissatisfied. You'll have all the same things that you were very happy with, and now you're not happy that much with it. Because you've forgotten something. You've taken it all upon you again. And that burden causes you not to be connected to that source. So, if you're lucky, something will happen in your life and bring you to a point where you surrender again. You just sit and you admit the powerlessness of you running your life. And then the, new, the power flows in. Yeah? So, in a sense, you experience that the only time I feel or experience powerlessness right, is when I'm exerting power. That the power that I've been revealed, that has been revealed to me, the self claims it and now it has its self-will using that power. Yes? I admit my powerlessness, and in that admittance of powerlessness, I never experience powerlessness. All I experience is power in my life now. When I forget that powerlessness and I exert power, I experience powerlessness. People don't do what I want, they don't go my way, I don't get what I want, things happen, blah, 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 blah. So when I'm exerting power, I experience powerlessness. When I admit powerlessness, I feel power. I experience powerlessness. Powerlessness. Exactly. So that's what surrender is. Surrender is surrendering in that admittance of powerlessness. It opens you up to new power flows in. You feel a conscious presence, which is the source of satisfaction. Yes? And now life is seen more as an expression of that instead of an acquiring of that. Yeah? You have something that you want to express into life. You're not an empty hole that you're trying to fill all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my experience with it over the years. And if you forget, some people aren't lucky in our community. They forget and they never get back. And then they, and if they're lucky, they die. A lot of them don't. They get brain dead, or wet, wet brain, or something happens to them while out there while they're running the show. And they can never surrender because it's too late. But it's, I would believe it's much wiser just to say surrender, yeah? I just stay in the state of surrender. I, I remember my past very well. I remember the quality of hell that it brought into my life, and I don't want to return there. So I stay in the immense of powerlessness, and I constantly feel power.